Ephesians chapter 3, if you would. And then we, before we get started, let's pray. It's always helpful. Lord, we're just so grateful for your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself. You've revealed how your kingdom functions. You've given it to us that we can know it. We thank you for that. Thank you that you've also given us your spirit who leads us into truth. So we say, Holy Spirit, would you manifest yourself here today? And do what only you can do. Bring revelation. Bring the supernatural. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. From verse 16. I said 17, so the, I messed up Christy, the overhead. And then, you know how it is. There's always... The, Another verse that's good before that one. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may fill, be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. I want to deal with that for just a little bit before we come back to the rest. Kind of the context as Paul writes this is the bigger book of Ephesians. But if you turn with me back over to chapter 1. From verse 20, he's talking about great power, which says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, or heavenlies. Word places isn't actually there. Do we have? Okay. Uh, in the actual uh, deal that it puts in italics, the words that the translators have added. So I'll tell you which ones they are because it doesn't actually have them in italics on this program. Okay, so at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is, which is to come. And he put all things, that word things isn't there, it's actually in italics. And he put all under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. To be isn't there. And gave him head over all to the church. Again, things. Gave him to be head over all things. It doesn't, the to be is not there. It was added and things is not there. Gave him a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills on all. It sounds like if you read the added parts, 
that God gave Jesus to be head over everything for the church, head over the church, which is how it looks like it, it should be translated. But that's not actually what it says. He's actually been made head over all principalities, dominions, mights, power, head over all, and he, head over all, has been given to the church. Not just the head of the church, but head over everything has been given to the church. That's pretty amazing, huh? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made alive, isn't there? And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, you all know this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. The chapters and verses were not in the original. They were added hundreds of years later just for ease of reference. This actually says, he was seated at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all under his feet and gave him head over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, and you. who were dead in trespasses and sin. Head over all was given to the church and you. It's not a new paragraph. It's part of the same thought. He, head over all, was given to the church and you, who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He's pointing out, he who was head over all was given to the church and to you when you were still dead in sin and trespasses. And then he goes on to tell you how dead you were. Not only were you dead, you were actually serving the, the spirit of this world. Except for the grace of God. Are you getting that? He wants to make sure that you understand you had nothing to do with it. For by grace, you've been saved. And that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We cannot boast in anything God's done for us. We were dead. It's important that we get that. Because everything that comes after is based on that. So let me state it once again. He was seated in heavenly places far above all 
all things, all rule, all might, all power, all dominion, all sickness, everything of the enemy. He was seated in heavenly places, and he was given to the church. That term given is the same word in the Greek as you would give a gift, but it's also the same word that we would use when we talk about marriage. Who gives this woman in marriage? And the father says, her mother and I, if they're there. It's the same word. There's something of a giving. And that concept is there in the New Testament. In Ephesians 5.32, talks about the mystery of marriage, which is Christ in the church. In Revelation 19, 7 and 9, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and his bride has made herself ready. There is something of this intimate marriage relationship that is intimated when it talks about our relationship with Jesus. So the first point we need to get is we don't deserve God's love and grace. Nobody does. It's important because we're going to see in a little bit how that affects us in looking at other people. We don't deserve it, yet he chose us anyway. Luke 22. We're talking about being rooted and grounded in love. We haven't got beyond that yet. I wanted you to get a picture of this. Luke 22. I've talked about this before, but I'm going to do it again. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles were with him, and he said to them, with fervent desire, or with passion, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's not with fear. It's with something of passion and love, is what that word is. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. At this, up to this point, Jesus is actually, they're sitting at the Passover. He's taking the bread and the cup which represents the old covenant. Those of you who know the story, when they came out of Egypt, God told them, kill a, a lamb, put the blood on the, the doorpost. The angel of death passed over which is a type or symbolism of Jesus coming, he's basically saying, take this, that's completed. And then he does something that they hadn't done for thousands of years. See, they had another cup there that they didn't use. It just sat there as a prophetic picture of something to come. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. He completed the old. Hebrews tells us that the, that which is old was completed and finished, and he instituted a new covenant, which is what we live in. He took that cup, and in that culture, it represented something of marriage, and the covenant of marriage. See, what would happen is 
Guy became interested in a young lady. Tim became interested in Kate. And, uh, or the other way around. But they would work out the whole deal. The, the fathers would, would work out the uh, bride price and, and all those things and everything was settled. And then they'd have this dinner. And the young man and his dad would sit on one side of the table and the woman and her dad would sit on the other side of the table. And when, when dinner was finished, he would take a cup that had been sitting there. And he would extend that cup to her. And in doing so, he's saying, I choose you. Now, there is something of the parents arranging, but often the woman had something to say about it. It wasn't, she wasn't just forced. Sometimes she was. But if she didn't want to, she could not take the cup. And they had a nice meal. But if she took it with one sip, they were in covenant. See, when we talk about marriage, we talk about engagement, and then we talk about a wedding ceremony. And we actually become officially married at the ceremony. They became married or in covenant at the engagement. When they took the cup, they were in covenant. And then the husband would go away. He would build a house or he'd build a room on his parents' house depending on how much money he had. And then when he was finished, he would come back for his bride. And they would have a celebration, a wedding feast. Sound familiar? Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant, a covenant of love. And then he said, I go away to prepare a place for you, but I will come again and take you to myself. And what's the end of the book? A marriage feast. So that new covenant is a covenant of love. The old covenant was about righteousness. It was about sin being removed that Jesus did with his death on the cross. And it was finished once and for all. It's all done. But the new covenant is about love. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Not an event, a person. See, I was raised in a fundamental church, and when we had communion, it was all about remembering Jesus' death, the Passover. We never talked about the new covenant. See, the new covenant is about a person. When a uh, young lady gets engaged, she often gets a ring, an engagement ring. And I think communion for us today is very much like that engagement ring. It's a reminder. As often as you do this, remember who you're engaged to. He who is head over all has chosen you. We're going to take communion. If some of you would just help me out, there's Four tables. Just go grab the, uh, the bread and the, the juice. Some of you passed it out for me. I'm going to ask you to hold it. We're going to take it together. So just anybody, just go grab some. Uh, and if you just kind of make sure that it gets passed out, I'd appreciate that.
We're still on Ephesians 3.17. This is all the background. This is all the context. Being rooted and grounded in love. You guys are awesome. You can do this well. Anyone not have any besides me? (laughs) These guys right here in front. We're going to do this a little bit different. I'm going to break this up a little bit. We're going to take the bread in a moment, but I want you to see the bread, his body broken, is the conclusion of the old covenant. Jesus died and the penalty was paid for sin. And the angel of death passes over. And I want you to remember that as we take this. Lord, we're so grateful that you chose to pay the penalty for us, for me. Even while I was dead in in sin. And as we take this, we remember your body broken for us. And we thank you. Amen. Go ahead and take the cracker. And then he took the cup. And I want you to picture Jesus reaching across the table. It's the cup of the new covenant in his blood. And he's saying, I choose you. I still choose you. Lord, we're grateful. As you take it, realize You're reaffirming your covenant. His covenant to you, but your covenant to him. Everything he is, everything he has, becomes yours. That's what covenant means, but everything you are becomes his. Lord, we take it in remembrance of you. I'm going to ask you if you do something now and just close your eyes. I ask you just to sit for a moment in his presence. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just pour the love of God in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you just pour? We recognize that you've chosen us. And we respond with love for you. But we do just pour. Just saturate us anew and afresh in your love. Everything that you are, 
becomes ours. Everything we have and are becomes yours. We identify with you. We take on a new identity, a new name, a new purpose. But more than anything, we enter into that intimate place of love and intimacy. Would you just pour? Even now where there's been hurt and rejection, would you just pour your love and wash that away? Even now where we've somehow felt lonely, would you just saturate them with your love? We're humbled and amazed that you chose us. You chose me. love to continue in this. I'm afraid some of you might fall asleep though. Enjoying the love of God. See the idea is not an intellectual ascent. It's actually an experiencing. Being rooted and grounded is love in love is not knowing about the love of God. It's actually experiencing it. That's the, the foundation. But there's another part of the context, which I want to mention just briefly. But that's in Ephesians 3. From verse 3, Paul talks about how by revelation he made known to me the mystery that I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. And here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That was a heavy thing for them. Paul is saying, you need to grasp this, that there is a mystery that has been hidden for ages, and now God is revealing it, and that is that other people, these other guys, the others, are also the recipients of the love of God. See, for the Jews, it was the Jews and everyone else. Gentiles just mean everybody else. The Jews were the people, everyone else was the heathen, the barbarians. I was raised in Southern California. Uh, I 
was told when I was young that part of our background was a Native American Indian. So I studied some of that, and I found out that both the Navajo and the, the Apache Indians, their name literally means the people. We're the people, everyone else isn't. That's what this was. We're the guys called of God. Everyone else is, is bad guys. And, and into that context, Paul is saying God's love includes these guys. And that's why you need to understand that he who is head over all was given to the church and to you when you were dead in trespasses. You didn't do anything. So you can't then set up a standard for someone else For them to receive the love of God. You still with me? Back to verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that being rooted and grounded in love. That's what we just have been doing. Hopefully you understand that you're rooted and grounded in love. You may be able to comprehend. That word means to receive experientially. Not to understand, but to receive with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Here's the key. He's not talking about you experiencing more of the love of God for you. He's talking about you having the ability to comprehend the width and the length that the love of God extends to everyone else. Unless you're rooted and grounded in love, you can't comprehend this. You will always see someone as outsiders, and he's saying that you're able to comprehend what is the width and the length and the depth and the love and to know the love of Christ I want to ask you, is there a place where you draw the line? Is there a place where you say, okay, I'm not sure about the love of God, but my love doesn't go any farther than this. Okay, that, the width is only about this, this wide. You draw the line, and sometimes it's subconscious. Do you draw the line when somebody hasn't bathed in the last day or two, or maybe the last week, do you say, yeah, I can't really love that person? Or if somebody's from a different ethnic background, or somebody who's a drug addict, or a drug dealer, is there a limit? How about someone who's a perpetrator of abuse or, bi- or violence? How about someone who voted for the other guys? <laughs> How about another religion? How about Muslims? How about terrorists? Does the love of God stop? How about the guy who was a terrorist who killed 50 people in Christchurch? church? 
That's getting quite a ways out there, maybe. <laughs> but how about this? Do you draw the line when the, at the person in church who didn't treat you with enough respect? Or who, or who said something that was unkind? Do you say, I can't love them? See, rooted and grounded in love, only then can we begin to experience the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of Christ. Only then can we begin to realize, and that is the fullness of God. It's not just knowing how much Jesus loves me, but it's knowing how much Jesus loves you. That's the fullness of God. God so loved that he gave. Are you still with me? If we're going to live in the fullness, we have to be not only rooted and grounded, but we have to say, God, help me comprehend, help me experience your love. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. And that's not the love for Christ. That's the love of Christ. There's something as we're rooted and grounded that he dwells in our hearts. We have to actually be strengthened by the Spirit to be able to handle that. He dwells in our hearts, and then we begin to comprehend the width and the fullness of God as he loves others. I want to ask you, is there a line in your heart that says, this far and no farther, these people and no one else? If we're going to be the church that represents Jesus, there won't be any lines. Will you bow your head? There's a reason we spent the last few weeks talking about God's heart for the grieving, for those who've suffered trauma, for those who have been affected by mental illness. I want to tell you, I believe that there is a moving of God that is taking place in this nation that is drawing people to Jesus. As we gathered with pastors this last week, I asked them, how many were seeing salvations? And we added them up quickly. And in the last few months in those churches, we've seen probably 100 people get saved. Where years could have gone by and we would have one or two. There's something of Jesus drawing. There's something of an outpouring of his spirit and an increase in the supernatural that goes along with that. But the foundation of foundations before we get into that is are we rooted and grounded in love? And will we, ex will we extend his love? See, those are different. That's what he said, the others. 
Holy Spirit, where there's others in our hearts, we just ask that you would bring revelation. Maybe we've, it's been subconscious. Maybe we've not even been aware that there was a line drawn. If it is, we just simply say, would you fill us with your love? And would you erase the lines? Totally remove them. In Jesus' name. Amen.